0: Play the first Coast to Coast Pick 5, featuring a sequence from Gulfstream Park in Florida and Santa Anita Park in California every Saturday and Sunday. Both the $1 minimum and 15% takeout are very player-friendly. Players can bet on track or online, usually listed as a separate track in your ADW. Just look for Coast to Coast Pick 5 in the drop-down. If you play on First Bet or Express Bet, you can get a free $10 bet on the Coast to Coast Pick 5 on select days. To participate, do not forget to register for the promotion. Get the Pick 5 sequence, expert analysis, free pass performances, and more at InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. And be sure to check the podcast we'll be doing every Saturday and Sunday for this new special bet. That URL once again, InTheMoneyPodcast.com slash coast. And welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is our show for February 14th, Valentine's Day, 2023. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn bunker once again. And happy to bring in uh, the man who's been doing all these recap shows with us, gave some uh, terrific opinions last week. We'll talk to him about those, see if he made any money on them. From In InTheMoneyPodcast.com, he's Nick Tamaro. Nick, what's going on?
1: Doing great, my friend. Glad to be with you. Recapping a little bit and looking forward. These have been fun, where I think uh, really getting to the core of things on the Derby Trail, and so it's it's always good to take a step back and look and figure out how you're going to use it going forward. I wish I
0: had anything I could characterize as, as a strong opinion at this point. Maybe we could take a, a quick look back. I didn't prep you for this. I didn't prep me for this, but to take a look at how the future wager um, closed and see if there's anything to, to glean from there. I just, you know, I'm really not close to having anything that I would confidently call a derby selection or an anti-post interest at this point. Did did you end up participating in the future pools at all?
1: I made a small bet on Slip Mahoney at 90 to 1. So okay. that was my uh that was my only play. Um and that was one I made very, very late. And I want to say he closed at, uh, let's see, Final Odds and Will Pays. He closed at 93 to 1.
0: Okay. I mean, oh. hell, from from that from that perspective, why the heck not? Uh, what is it in particular? I know we talked about the horse and and the form that, of, of some of those races and how it, it ain't bad at all. But what in particular interests you in Slip Mahoney?
1: Well, it's a super distance-oriented pedigree on the damn side. And so I felt like taking the New York route might actually do him a lot of benefit because he's going to race out of his stall all winter and he'll go to the, uh, apparently he's going to the Gotham and then he'll go to the wood, presumably. And he just had his first workout back from the uh, maiden win, which came on uh, January 14th, or January 21st. I'm sorry. And, you know, he got a buyer figure that puts him in the realm. Croupy, who ran second in that race is entered in the risen star as a maiden. So, you know, I think there's something to be said for maybe the the company that Slip Mahoney has kept in his prior race before that, he finished second to Tapatrice and battled him all the way to the wire. So just feels like a horse that might be moving forward. You know, he feels like a horse that could go from 93 to one in this pool to 30 to one in the next pool. He could also go from 93 to one in this pool to completely off the derby trail, right? right? So-, so what I figured is that the only futures I want on in this scenario, our futures, where, I mean, we're looking at probably four times the price on Derby Day. And if this horse gets to the Derby, he will be, I mean, Brad Cox doesn't run horses that are more than 25 or 30 to one anyway. So I would imagine he'll be somewhere in that realm. So just, a, you know, maybe a horse that's, that's quietly moving forward and has some upside. And uh, there were some really atrocious prices in that group. So I felt, uh, I felt like there was really no reason to not go ahead and, and take a little bit of a shot
0: we'll follow up on that comment which begs a, a, a follow up for sure but i do love i'll just point out that you've chosen the name uh, tapatrice as a hill to die on i i, I think it's I, unless you have some information that i don't have i just i figure Pete Aiello does his homework
1: i'm 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 going down with the ship i'm i'm i am riding the tapatrice bandwagon right into the ground and until mandy Pope. <laughs> or one of the other owners tells me differently if Anthony Beck wants to call me and correct me, <laughs> he owned the dam anyway. So I I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna let that happen. Funny, funny side note on that. So I mispronounced a horse's name on Saturday at Sam Houston, whose name was spelled L E O N E. And so I pronounced it Leone because of course. yeah. Leone. And so, right. And so I was, uh, I received a text from Jason beam who's friends with the owner. And, um, and, and, and the owner let him know that it is to be pronounced Leone. So I, I let Jason know, I'm actually going to let Jason know that the favorite in the Sam Davis is known as WHNL. Yes. 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 I noticed no.
0: that. I yeah. noticed that he, Which it seems like from Jason,
1: yeah, like you and I are the only people that seem to know that because I mean I read Byron's Byron King's story after the Remsen and he said in it specifically the owner let him know the horse's name is pronounced WHNL. And you know, it's one of those bear trap names anyway that you see and you're like, I don't really think this is WNL. So, let me let me find out, but hey, you know, it's a funny thing. Funny thing with the name game, so yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and, and take the assumption that it's. I'm going to go with Tapatrice for now. <laughs> you
0: mentioned some uh, some horrendous prices. What do, who did you think was overbet in this pool? Oof! How
1: about for one-time starter? Go Rocket Ride for Richard Mandela, twenty-five to one. I believe he went off twenty-five point eight nine to one. This is a horse who just broke his maiden. I understand he got a big figure. Um, that was one that stuck out. But I mean, Pete, the pantheon of horrible. Kentucky Derby Future Wagers has now added a member. (laughs) Hoosier Philly. (laughs) Hoosier Philly went off eleven to one. This is a horse whose entire Kentucky Derby candidacy is based on her trainer saying that she's one of the she's the best two year old Philly he's ever had. Now, and I like Tom Amos.
0: No, he's great. Tom
1: Amos had a really, really nice two year old Philly like five years ago. And Serengeti Empress would wipe the streets with Hoosier Philly after their two-year-old seasons, respectively. <laughs> so the fact that she went off eleven to one is hysterical, and of course, I couldn't help myself because I love to stir the pot anyway, and I had to tweet about it on Sunday morning. So it's it's pretty funny in that respect. But um, yeah, that was the one. You know, the other thing is that there's a huge recency bias in these pools. So Tapit went off fifteen to one because he was coming off that that super impressive allowance win. Um, you know, and to put it in perspective, I mean, he went off 15 to one in the face of horses like Hit Show went off 28 to one and Hit Show got virtually the same buyer speed figure winning at a mile and an eighth. Right. So, you know, I've half the price and he had a horse like Rocket Can who granted it was very slow, but he won the Holy Bull on the same card as Tapatrice. He went off 35 to one. Shadow Dragon went off 46 to 1. I mean, Rocket Cam will never lose to Shadow Dragon if he didn't lose to him last week or a couple of weeks ago. So just, you know, funny things. And when you get to 40 entrants in here, I think this is going to happen quite a bit more. Forte ended up going off the lowest priced individual at 8 to 1. The field went down to 2 because I guess by Sunday, everybody realized, holy cow, every horse trained by a certain uh, trainer that's, that's not to be spoken of is in the <laughs> is in the field. So, Yeah. And and the Newgate news had come out, or that might have been that
0: might have been lower, I suppose. All right, back to Hoosier Philly. We're going to learn a lot more this coming weekend, right? Rachel Alexandra next on the dance card for her.
1: That is the uh, plan. Yeah, part of a blockbuster card at uh, at Fairgrounds that has I think thirteen races. So she goes as the twelfth, and um, I, you know I'm, I'm interested to see. I guess the morning line will come out in the next couple of days, but I don't know. Have you looked at that race by chance?
0: The, the the Rachel or the Rachel? Or the, no, I I mean I I have a probable field here though.
1: Yeah, I have the field. I mean it's it's uh it's a field of six and and I guess my point with all of it is that I understand that Hoosier Philly has this incredible reputation and she's gotten three straight bullet workouts. I'm not even sure how big a favorite she is in this race, right? Chop chop is is coming off a second-place finish in the Silver Bullet Day and went off the favorite in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. So I'm pretty mischievous, just won the untappable and got an 80-fig. And when you look at her PPs against Who's Your Phillies, I mean, they really don't look all that different. So it'll be very interesting. It's a good comeback spot for her. This has been a super productive race over the years, and obviously Tom Amos is going to take the the New Orleans route to the Kentucky Oaks. We've seen this before. And, uh, yeah, so it's fun to have her back. I'm looking forward to seeing how she performs.
0: Loaded-looking Risen Star on paper, too. We're going to – we'll at least cover the Risen Star, you and I, late week, and we'll probably bring in Frank McGoey on the plus side to do a full-card rundown for us as far as that goes. Let's go a little bit deeper into some of the three-year-old action we saw at the weekend. I have notes on a bunch of the the boys' races. We should obviously – we have such a classic situation in the three-year-old Phillies race of right idea, wrong horse. But we'll get we'll get we'll tag that back on at the end. Let's start at Aqueduct. We already mentioned a hit show who was much the best in the Withers. Ninety one buyer speed figure. Excellent pick by you and showed it was not just the Lasix that caused the improvement. This was a race that was coded fast throughout on Timeform US. That pace set by uh, Arctic Arrogance who gets a big 10-point upgrade on the time form U.S. figures for that front-running effort through the Fast Fractions. Wondering if it isn't time for for a cutback there or if they're going to stay the course. What did you think of Hit Show, and what do you think his ceiling is going forward?
1: You know, I think he still has pretty serious potential moving forward. I, I, I'm not convinced that uh, that he can't get better. I think he will. Um, we've talked at length about his pedigree, and his damn side is really geared towards distance, given that Actress was a a great at stake winner at a mile and an eighth. And he feels like one of those just sort of, you know, run all day types that, that really can just grind you into the ground. He was sharp. I mean, he broke on top and for a horse with his style, that's always a great sign. You know, if I'm betting a mid packer or off the pace horse and I see them sort of bust out of the gate, um, it generally means that they're just in, they're in very good form and and they're, you know, they're feeling pretty strong. So they sprinted away from him a little bit. I thought Manny Franco did a good job getting him to what could be a comfortable spot. Admittedly, this time of year in New York, you could occasionally deal with some pretty serious kickback and uh, certain horses just get very resistant of that. So um, I thought it was a good ride. I, I thought it was a, a soft trip all in all, but, you know, it feels like he's the kind of horse that, is probably going to make his own trip. in in some cases, I don't think he's like a totally pokey one run type. I think he's probably more comfortable sitting a little bit off the pace. So yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be, let it be too colored by the fact that I kind of like this horse and, and have from the start, but I thought it was a solid effort. I, I think it's a great stepping fo a uh, great step forward for him um, as far as going to a race like the wood. And, you know, if you're a time form us believer in you and I talk about this pretty frequently, this horse ran very significant early pace figures. And and for a horse with his style, you know, that sort of gives you an indication that he could be the type that could eventually handle a strenuous pace in the Kentucky Derby in terms of maybe being, you know, five to six lengths off of it. Um, he was under a ride for a while, which is understandable. Arctic Arrogance looked like he was still going pretty easy at the quarter pole. But, you know, once Hitchell got outside and and went on with it, um, he finished up nicely. So solid effort. I thought the 116 time from U.S. figure puts him uh, squarely in the conversation for some of the better three-year-olds right now. And I look forward to seeing him in the wood.
0: Yeah, probably has to get a little bit faster. But I mean, you could say that about every single horse in this uh in this debate,
1: I mean, Let's I talk- remind people all the time that Gunrunner got a 91 buyer speed figure in the Risen Star, and everybody went nuts about how low the figure was and blah, 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 and stuff like that. Now, I understand Gunrunner was a far better four year old than three year old, but he was a horse that finished third in the Kentucky Derby. Right. So, you know, it's it is okay to be getting low to mid nineties buyer speed figures right now, especially under what might have been slightly adverse circumstances. And and, and I'm not saying that Hit show had a tough trip by any means, but I do think he expended a tremendous amount of energy early in that race, and that's something that that he really had never done. So I mean to put the pace figure conversation in perspective. So he got a 116 time from u.s figure tapatrice got a 105 in a slow paced race it, the the two respective pace lines on these horses they look nothing alike i mean they're they're in the 130s and 140s for hit show and they're in the 80s for tapatrice now tapatrice uplined the whole race he got faster basically on pace figures as the race went on which is a great sign especially for a horse that ultimately wants to go longer but my point with all of it is that don't don't penalize hit show for maybe coming home slow on what was an absolutely glacial track to begin with when he expended a lot of energy early.
0: I think that's right. And in those dynamics and trying to judge the horse on its condition based on itself, of course, you're going to finish well when you go that slow early. and Of course, you're going to slow down when you go that fast early. That's just pace dynamics and you, you have to see where they're going to show up and what kind of trip they're likely to get and, and, hopefully for hit shows candidacy can level that uh, pace out a little bit and, uh, and be able to run even faster when he's more efficient. Let's move down to uh, Gulf stream. This is just a quick one. I wanted to mention, didn't prep you for it, but I'm sure you saw the race, Nick with third at golf stream on Saturday, gold magic breaking or winning his made at first asking with an 87 buyer. And just taking a quick look at his pedigree, Looks like an early uh, top of the market contender for a race like the King's Plate in August, got Kevin Atard off the duck down there. And I don't know that they're going to, I would imagine they're going to be patient with this horse and, and circle that race and go on with it. But gosh, you, you almost wouldn't blame them if they took one shot to see if this horse might, uh, you know, King's Plate isn't till August. If there isn't a valuable target before that with a runner that showed this kind of promise in what seems like, kind of an open year were you impressed with this one what advice would you give connections
1: yeah good uh well well for some reason the old wellings have me blocked on twitter so i couldn't give him too much advice but i (laughs) can't imagine how i earned that i'm sure i did earn it but um yeah no it was a compelling performance no doubt um and you did not set me up for that so that worked out very well but um you know a horse that obviously has a uh a solid pedigree you know he he went cheap and they bought him in July of 2021. I don't know if he was re entered in a sale to see if they could turn him around. But um, either way, he's a good magic that probably should go on a little bit distance wise. And um, I, I would have no issue with them trying one time maybe to get him to the Derby. I just, you're, it's a little bit of no man's land to be breaking your maiden in the second week of February, because the Fountain of Youth is going to come back really fast and you're going to face Forte and some other good horses. And, you know, if you, if you don't go there, then you're shipping. So, I mean, they might long play it and look at, uh, at the Kings played very astutely uh, mentioned properly by you. And, uh, and, and, you know, I wouldn't blame them for that. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue quibble with them at all about doing something like that. But, you know, there's there's nothing bad about having a good three-year-old really at any time of year. So it's uh, good for them. And he beat what looked like, a you know, relatively solid field. It didn't have a flashy Todd Pletcher. It did have a, a fast-working Chad Brown, good magic, that was a little dull. Joel Rosario couldn't win a one-horse race right now. I don't think he had anything to do with why that horse lost. The Pletcher entrant was coming back off a long layoff after kind of a nondescript effort it uh, at Monmouth last summer, I also I wondered personally how many like really good horses Todd was going to debut, knowing that Irad was on suspension. So I you know I don't I don't think he did over the weekend. He had a firster on Sunday that got a lot of money that didn't run that great, but you know whatever. That's an aside. So yeah, fun to see, and, and obviously you know having the uh, the Canadian connection, there's uh, plenty to like there.
0: Let's talk about the tenth race, and there was an impressive uh, Pletcher firster here, though not quite able to get the job done, but took a ton of money into the teeth of the two favorites. I think this was a Pletcher Runner. Dreamlike, the Gunrunner Tappet, um, that I thought ran pretty well wide, um, debuting at a mile, which isn't easy already. It was Arthur's Ride, though, who, you know, I'm not going to give us too much credit for coming up with this obvious uh, two-to-one shot, but Arthur's Ride got the 89 buyer, uh, a raw 90 on Timeform US, but upgraded to a 94 for being right on that honest pace. I thought this was a nice return to the races from this horse that ran in, those two really fast two-year-old races at Saratoga. As you point out, we're kind of in no man's land now for a race like the Derby, but this looks like it could be a summer horse. And I wouldn't say anything different about Dreamlike, who, who again, I, I thought was very, very promising for that. Uh, lovely, lovely blood, good connections. But did you have any thoughts on the 10th from Gulfstream on
1: Saturday? Yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you said across the board. I think Arthur's Ride might be more of a, of a, a summer type. I could see... I could see Mott maybe looking at running him somewhere, Derby-ish, uh, f- just to give him one shot. But uh, this feels like a horse that you could easily see in a race like the Peter Pan, maybe prepping for the Belmont. He is a tappet. Um, he's out of a point given mare. So I think there's reason to believe that he'll go on distance-wise without much of an issue. I, I will admit, Pete, and, and I'm I'm obviously a jerk, but um, <laughs> I-, I was I was watching the race and I was like, I needed either Arthur's Ride or Case for the coast to coast pick five and the whole way down the stretch, I was like, who is riding this horse? Is this some kind of bug boy? I mean, he looks so awkward in the saddle and, and so uncomfortable. And I realized it was Richard Kingscoat who obviously <laughs> has won a ton of races, but you know, is, it is going to look a little different, different,
0: different style. It's that it's different style. style.
1: Exactly. Totally different style. So much more of a, of a European look in the saddle, much lower in the saddle and, and way different whip action. But I'll tell you what this horse now in three races has either he has won and he has run into two really good horses along the way disarm who he lost to in his debut is is apparently coming back pretty soon he's been working steadily and obviously the second horse he lost to was instant coffee so you know he's just been a little unlucky and and uh, the way Mott's going right now actually disarm has entered at Oaklawn on Sunday um the way Mott's going right now I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't put anything past him so yeah I thought it was a good effort and I, I look forward to seeing him down the line
0: Let's talk about the other uh, Florida track over at the Sam F. Davis from Tampa. This looked to be a speed favoring track, according to, I mean, it just looked that way visually and the time form algorithm and the racing flow algorithm had it that way. The race was won by litigate. The time was, uh, was pretty slow. 77 buyer in the raw time form us within a point of that. But I was wondering rather than being too judgy about it, if, Being a bit against the profile of the track made this maybe a little bit more impressive than that very slow raw figure suggests. We talked a little bit before about WHNL horror trip there, but found so little in a slow race that it's tough to get too excited going forward. Is this a a race to be dismissed because of the time figure, or, or are you interested in Litigate going forward?
1: I think the only way to describe it is slow. Yeah. (laughs) It was, and I thought it was maybe the track. I thought maybe, you know, there was a little bit of rain and and maybe it affected it. And so I will admit that I texted Craig Milkowski uh, Saturday, maybe Sunday morning. And uh, he had the audacity to take the morning off. And he said to me that that he'd get back to me later on. And and I I said, you know, because he had made the comment that he had made the comment on Twitter on Saturday afternoon that it looked like it was probably not a wet fast or was not a fast track when they were running the Sam F. Davis. And so he got back to me later that evening and was like, nope, one speed all day. So, you know, I, I will say that you have to give litigate a little bit of an opportunity to move forward because he was outside. He broke like a shot. He did kind of, kind of take the worst of it in a way for a good bit of the race. Um, he, yeah. He was against the profile, but the thing is they went fast. Yes. So, you know, I, I think he was helped by that. Um, I, I will admit just from my own, my own wagering. I, I was, I was very, very annoyed after the sun coast, which we'll talk about. Cause my, my cross country pick fives were dead and and I would have been alive to litigate for, I think, five or six dollars. And so I, I made a big win bet on litigate. It was probably a shorter price than I would normally bet on a horse to win. But um. and then in the in the tries, I thought I was being cheeky and I played the three and 12 underneath him. And so I played 11 with 312 with all and 11 with all with 312. And I mean, they're turning for home and it's running 11, 12 and like a bunch of bombs are are battling it out. And I thought, you know, I had to try multiple times. I thought, oh, this is going to come up like a total, a total Yahtzee. And, And the 12 just stopped. And and so did Classic Legacy. He kind of spun his wheels. He didn't really stop. So it was an eyesore of a race, Pete. There's no other yeah. way to describe it. It was it was very hard to watch. Groveland had a bunch of trouble, but he looks like nothing better than, you know, an, an allowance type, not even a graded stake type. So these horses are gonna have to get a lot better. I'm guessing Todd knew that too. That was part of the reason why he sent Litigate to a race like this. So he did his job. He didn't do it particularly in impressive fashion. Maybe he gets one more opportunity moving forward. But, you know, the problem with the Tampa Derby a lot of times is that you win that race, you're kind of stuck nowhere in terms of one more prep, or, you know, are you running again? And you know, if this horse were to win that race and get a, you know, a high 80 type buyer, he'd be a hard horse to back in Louisville. I think that sounds exactly right. While
0: we're on Tampa, let's talk about the Sun Coast. We talked about trying to fade Wonder Wheel and Julia Shining. And uh, trying to maybe come up with a local horse to do it wasn't smart enough to come up with Dreaming of Snow, who wires the field under Camacho at thirty-eight to one, and is a, a rare time when I think, you know, maybe I, I wouldn't have ever wanted to play the all in this race, but I think I could have been convinced on one combo to play the all but Wonder Wheel and Julia Shining, given my uh, given my opinion. wasn't smart enough to do it. Uh, this is one of the race races people will talk to about the, the speed helping uh, Camacho get this one home. (laughs) Any, anything you see after the race on dreaming of snow, or is this just one of those things?
1: Yeah, I particularly enjoyed that I used the other two horses from the Gasparilla in the in the cross country pick five, uh, which included Charlie's Wish at thirty three to one and Not Dreaming of Snow at thirty eight to one. I just didn't think she'd get that kind of trip at all. I thought that some of the other stretch outs would be forwardly placed, and quite honestly, I felt like if the pace was moderate, Wonder Wheel would just pounce on whoever was making it yes. and go on with it. So it, it was a, uh, I mean, I don't want to beat up on her too bad, but I'm already annoyed about Mark Cassie building her up you know, to be something that she's not. But I thought that it was a pretty woeful performance by Wonder Wheel. I mean, that was speed bias or not. You know, you turn for home with dead aim on a horse like that. You're supposed to go by. And and it wasn't like she really got to her nose and, and got out game. She just never even really got that close. So I, I thought it was a, a very mediocre performance. And I'm not going to be surprised at all if Wonder Wheel was just a, a way ahead of the curve two-year-old. That didn't really go on with it much as a three-year-old. And, you know, I will mention because I have tremendous affinity for Wonder Wheels Dam, Wonder Gal, um, in many ways, one of the only reasons why I'm popular is because of the 2014 Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge <laughs> and Wonder, Wonder Gal finished third in that race. And, you know, it took Wonder Gal... About 10 months to win another race after that. So, yeah, and she didn't even win that day. So, I mean, this, my point being, this might be a precocious damn side that just doesn't really go on with it later on. And so I'd be very concerned about that. I will also say, and Andy Serling stole this from me before (laughs) he put it on Twitter. I told him on Sunday morning, I said, Julia Shining will never lose to Wonder Wheel again, ever in my opinion. I, I actually thought, and I've always kind of, you know, we, we were very realistic. We were very candid about Julia Shining, but I do think there's there's always an element of it in the back of your head that, you know, this is a horse that still has a ton of potential to move forward. I thought she ran fine. I thought that the, the track profile was decidedly against her. You know, the problem with Julia Shining in terms of warming up to her is what we've talked about before, which is that you just have to ride the hair off of her. You know, and and those kind of horses just they look unsightly. Part of it is size; I get it. But you know, you wonder how much really is there if a horse has to be ridden like that. So I I would say that you know I look forward to seeing Wonder Wheel again in a race like the Ashland or something like that. I'd be comfortable betting against her with both fists.
0: Julia Shining. I wonder if sometimes those kind of horses, those bicycle type horses, distance can really be their friend, where they can kind of just cruise along there early. And even if you ask them early, they have enough time and room to get going. You know, I wonder I wonder if that might be a key to her. Now, granted, there won't be an opportunity for uh, for, for a while uh, if, if we find out that that's right. The well, you have,
1: that- have to think that that Todd and not to interrupt you, you'd have to no, think no, Todd is Todd's probably going to look at the gazelle because you probably want her going a mile and an eighth yeah. uh, more so than any other distance. Um, the Ashland's probably a little quick, especially with a short stretch. The good thing is that, and you know, look, I think this Philly moves a lot like Malathat, you know, I think, I think she's a lot smaller based on the, on the physical look of it, but she moves a lot like Malathat. Malathat was a horse that had to be ridden hard. The problem I guess the problem that existed maybe before Saturday that's not as much of a concern is that it seemed like Julia Shining had no speed at all, and she was at least able to get herself into a comfortable position going into the backstretch. I mean, she was fifth about five lengths off the lead, which, you know, I think when you're talking about a horse that grinds away like her, you'd take that position. You know the, the thing is, you you watch her and you see Sia tapping her on the shoulder, and he's on. She's on a loose rein. He's pumping away, and and you're like, this horse can't be good. You know, she can't, she looks so she looks like a claimer. The way she's getting ridden down the backstretch. So yeah, I will also say that uh, I I don't know. I don't want to pin it on him too much, but. I do think that if Tyler Gavilone was as concerned with the horse in front of him, as he was with the one behind him around the turn, the result might've been a little different, but I don't know. I don't want to give Wonder Wheel really any excuses for this performance. You're supposed to run
0: down the 38 to one shot who finishes with an 83 figure with even being against the profile there with Wonder Wheel. I will say just to be, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do our, uh, are, are are double act with the tr- the trainers and the Phillies. Not look, I mean, I agree with you in all material ways about the over ambition, but uh, w- that comes when they have the, these these horses. But I will just offer the the explanation that I see. I think it has to just do with when you're a horse trainer, and especially in a world where horse racing is so much more niche now, that like every cocktail party public function any any social experience they've had like pretty much in their adult lives the, the question that somebody asked them is oh what what have you run in the derby have you won the derby 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 and i think it makes them a little crazy sometimes when it comes to these fillies that you know maybe have the ability i think especially if they're if you're personality as Mark Cassie's clearly does allows you to dream on things out loud. I think, I think that's where it comes from. I'll just, I'll just throw that out there as a possible explanation. Do you buy that at all?
1: No, I think that's definitely part of it. And I think my, what I would say kind of dovetails with what you're saying, which is that, you know, trainers sort of, of crave and fight for relevance. And I'm not saying that guys like Tom Amos or Mark Cassie are irrelevant at all because they're not. But the thing is, if you, you know, part of being an effective trainer is being a good salesman because you're selling yourself and your operation to potential owners. So if you're, you know, if you're able to say like, Hey, I've got this really, really good horse, then it's going to make people notice. And it's obviously going to make you very prone to overrating them as well. And, you know, the, the, the thing that sort of, I mean, the thing that pissed me off for lack of a better way to put it is that. the the way that Tom Amos and Mark Cassie respectively have described Hoosier Philly and Wonder Wheel when they've had particularly good horses in the last six years for owners that they still have. It's like, okay, buddy, classic empire was in your barn six years ago. There is no way that you have forgotten how good he was and, and that you're suddenly saying that Wonder Wheel is better. And for the same matter, why would Tom Amos forget that Serengeti Empress? I mean, Serengeti Empress won the ballerina during COVID, right? I mean, she was just in his barn and, and and put up some performances that were incredibly good, all things considered. So, you know, that's part of it. But at the same time, if you're taking and, and the other thing and not to go on a tangent about this, the public seems to have this bizarre fascination with running Phillies against males. I mean, there's yeah. just this this incredible and so the 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 lack of success that that my daughter is now weighing in on this topic. <laughs> so, go that. Here, take this one. So the sorry about that. The the thing Not that has, the thing that that comes into it is that, you know, they just know that it is and that's why I said on Saturday, the best Twitter fodder is so and so is running against males. Right. I mean, they just love it. And and meanwhile, you know, what success have have female horses had on dirt against males in this country in the last 10 years? Virtually none, because it's really, really hard.
0: It is. I mean, we've seen we've seen limited, limited amounts of success as recently as uh, as recently as last year. But I, people love the storyline there's definitely something to what you're saying about the selling, right? You'll hear this. I mean, I think there's no more hilarious example of it than, than Aiden O'Brien, who I love obviously, but like, it's just funny how every, every next three-year-old is the best three-year-old. And it's, it's like, he's already marketing the stallion, you know? And obviously that's not nearly as relevant on the, on the Philly side, but I think there's some combination of recency bias and wanting to remain relevant and just pumping up this horse that may well go through the ring on night of the stars for God knows how many million. And, you know, if that quote from the trainer back in the spring lets the millionaire bid the, or the billionaire bid the extra million, like maybe I don't, but I don't think they're doing it here on that conscious of a level. I think it's more tied up in, in just like, people getting very excited about the now and and not remembering about the two years ago. I think it's a, it's a human tendency. And I think the reason you're, you know, and I'll say we, we're, we're to some point offended by it is only because just being such huge fans of, of the, when you're a huge fan of the sport, you try to have more a little bit more of a historical perspective and remember the achievements of the Serengeti empresses and the classic empires of the world. It's a, I mean, that's really all it comes down to. Right
1: yeah exactly yeah that that's the best way to put it i want to i want to appreciate the horses that were good and you know the the uh the so and so is the best horse i ever rode so and so is the best horse i ever trained things like that i mean those are just the dumbest conversations ever to me because you know a good trainer has had a number of really good horses right and at the end of the day i mean as you're alluding to wonder wheel is worth a fortune already I mean, she's you know, it's not going to take anything away if a, if a, if a jerk like me thinks that her trainer is overrating her. You know, she's an into mischief out of a Grade One placed mare that now is a champion and and a, and a multiple Grade One winner. I mean, she is worth an absolute fortune. So I hope for her sake. I have nothing. I, I I've always enjoyed listening to Jonathan Green, and and I think that you know, one uh, his dad Leonard Green seems like everybody I know in racing likes him. So I'm rooting for them. I, I really am. I would just. You know, I don't think I would say it to Mark Cassie if I was them, but I would probably cringe every time I saw a quote like that. But hey, you know what? You don't cringe when you look at all the zeros on a check. that we know is true anything else you want to touch
0: on or uh, can we get out of here at at this point nick Uh, did did we leave in the oh we got to talk about golden gate at least real quick because that was derby points and uh chase the chaos the horse who got it done second straight win one by a little bit over a length with an 83 buyer i'd let this was you know one of these races that i will go ahead and say it visually looked good making up all that ground in a race where the pace held together no idea if this horse is going to transfer form to dirt, but a horse that could be a likely Derby starter, that could just go get some more points on synth in the Jeff Ruby and then answer that question on, on the big day. Potentially. What, what did you think of the uh, El Camino real?
1: Yeah. A lot, a lot like what we described on Friday, when we talked about it, you know, it was a a race with horses that obviously have kind of mixed up form. And, um, and so we saw, you know, that it, it might seem that one could take a step forward, going to the uh, back to the synthetic and, and cost to chaos had pretty much run well uh, at Golden Gate prior multiple times. There was the variable of how would the some of the shippers take to the surface and and I think the local angle there is always pretty strong even though the winner had been a horse that that was came in from Southern California last year. So yeah, I don't know if this horse will take to the dirt. Uh, I wonder maybe if there's a little potential, I'll say this much he's getting better. He seems to be moving forward with each start, and uh, I would say that they have to probably look for an opportunity to run him. Uh, it would make sense to maybe send him to Turfway and try and take yeah. the total back door on the synthetics to Kentucky. And you owe it to him now to give him the opportunity. At least that much, you know. You you've also been guaranteed a, an entry into the to Preakness, so you know <laughs> oh, you great. have that you have that in your arsenal as well. So yeah, fun. Uh, fun spot there. And, and the only thing I'll mention, and this is totally a Homer move by me. I very rarely do stuff like this, but a very good friend of mine from Houston, who's a, a Sam Houston jockey club member had a Philly that he bred. He's bred a number of decent Florida breads he Had a Philly that he bred win on Thursday at fairgrounds, got an 88 buyer. She's a three-year-old Philly, which, you know, we know an 88 buyer for a three-year-old Philly is very, very good in an off the yeah. race. And so, Her name is She's Looking Lucky. She is a Looking at Lucky out of uh, the the, uh, damn is Worldly Heiress, who my friend Richie owned, And uh, he has now bred her, I think, five times. It's kind of a crazy story. Worldly Lieras had laminitis. She almost died. She almost killed Soldat when they bred her to him. Um, She's a lunatic. And so (laughs) finally, they got her to where they could actually breed her. And she dropped a couple of decent Florida breads that, you know, both like crazy fast turf sprinters. And then he bred her to looking at Lucky. And now it looks like she's looking lucky, might be a distance type. So that was her first start on uh, Thursday for Matt Shire, who is uh, a trainer, of course, for friend of the program, Marshall Graham, and 10-Strike Racing. So, yeah, hopefully she's looking lucky. You can take another step forward next time out against oh. a slightly tougher competition.
0: Uh, one to one to put in the tracker, as we, as we like to say. All right, great stuff, Nick. We'll be back later in the week. Oh, I also dropped this, uh, what I hope people will enjoy, this new concept we're going to do with Sean Borman. He was looking for um, a little bit of an outlet, a little bit of uh, accountability. He's going to pull back the curtain and, and do some – shows with me that are basically diaries of his experience as a pro horse player. He didn't really play much last weekend. So we sort of took that hour and a half to set up the concept and talk a little bit about his business model and where he's been historically going forward. Going to be following that along. There should be JK plus one this week. I don't have the update on when that's going to drop, but then, you know, late in the week, coast to coast and we'll do some Santa Anita and it should be a lot of fun. Nick, we'll thank you one more time and uh, look forward to talking to you later in the week.
1: Sounds great, my friend. Looking forward to it. Take care.
0: Indeed. We uh, will also do some thanking of uh, 10 Strike Racing. Nick mentioned a Marshall Graham, Clay Sanders, great supporters and friends of the show. We always love to root for the purple and black around here. Also, the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Give generously to the great work they do over at trfinc.org slash players. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. Uh, our business manager here at In The Money Media is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Genshin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornatal. May you win all your photos.